Welcome to the Investing for Life podcast, where we apply proven investment principles to the lives of successful business people to help you enrich your own. With your host, Douglas Isles. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dominique Gill. Dominique has 20 years experience in the construction industry. In 2016, she became the founder and managing director of Urban Core, the first female-founded construction startup of its kind. Named by the Australian Financial Review as one of the fastest growing companies in the country, a list of top-tier clients rely on Urban Core for their energy and innovation. Dominique is a vocal advocate for diversity and inclusion in one of the toughest but most rewarding industries around. So Dominique, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I want to start just exploring the, uh, I guess, the decision you made a long time ago to choose a career in construction. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, like a lot of um, women who work in construction, I didn't actually choose to work in construction. I just kind of fell into construction. Um, my initial choice uh, was to study business and urban planning. I was interested in, uh, you know, how cities come together and urban economy. Um, from that, I thought I would maybe become an urban planner and I decided to do architecture because I figured as an architect, I could always become an urban planner from there. Um, so I studied then architecture and became a fully qualified architect and uh, worked as an architect for five years. After five years as an architect, I decided I didn't really want to do urban planning, but I really was excited about construction. So in architecture, there's a lot of design work, a lot of design work that doesn't necessarily come to life. Um, you know, DAs get rejected, clients sell their sites. Um, so I was a little bit frustrated that I was working on so many exciting projects that didn't actually see the light of day. And I thought, I'll probably fit in better in construction. You know, I'm a very pragmatic person. I love project management. And I thought if I can get sort of my boots in concrete, I'll probably enjoy myself more. Um, and so after a short break for maternity leave, I had two daughters very close together and I had the choice to either go back to my old architecture job or to um, – I, I, I had a job offer from a, from a large construction company and I thought I'm going to try that. So that's how I started. So from your perspective, architecture is almost art and uh, this is back to that idea of planning and making a difference. Yeah, look, that's always a good question because it is a construction-related field, obviously, and it is, a, a, you know, an architect works in construction. But to me, it was um, not quite into the thick of it. You know, it was a little bit remote. And it's funny as uh, when I joined the the, the, com the company I worked for, I thought I knew everything about construction because I was an architect. And then I realized I actually had quite a lot to learn. So it was a really exciting kind of step. Um, now, I mean, I work with architects every day. Day. So they, they are obviously um, the same sort of field, but working for a head contractor or a construction firm is, is a little bit different. So what would, let's say the, the myths, I'm imagining construction just as building. Mm -hmm. um, is, there, is there more to it than that? Is it more nuanced? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a good question because a lot of people, if you, I mean, I ask, as you know, I do a, a lot of a, a lot of work around the schools and educating girls around uh, the different careers in construction. And I always ask them, if you met someone who said they worked in construction, what do you think they would do? And everyone says, you know, tradie, tradie, yeah, yeah, tradie, you yeah. know, and then even you push a bit further and you say, okay, well, what type of tradie? And everyone goes, plumber, plumber, plumber. You know, <laughs> like yeah. this cliche that working in construction must be, you must be a plumber, yeah. you know. Um, and obviously the trade work is, I mean, it's the most important part of construction because it is the people that make it all happen. But as a head contractor, you know, you manage these trades and managing these trades is 
really also the thick of construction because um, you don't specialize in the one field. You need to know every everything about every trade uh, or you need to know who to go to when you don't know. So it's definitely a lot more than that. Um, then there's also all the sort of related fields again, um, like, you know, a certifier, a BCA consultant, an engineer, um, all of these really important moving parts that make the project happen. So Definitely, there's a lot more to construction than the trade work, even though that tends to be the image of the of the industry that it's um, sort of almost reduced to trade work. Yeah, so I guess the image I, I have in mind is, I guess, is Bob the Builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about putting your boots on and so mm-hmm. on, but I'm I'm struggling to imagine you in your high vis <laughs> and, and your boots. So, um, yeah, maybe just sort of. Uh, Change, change my image, if you like. Or, uh... Yeah, look, um, I mean, I spend a lot of time, well, I, I, when I worked um, for, for a tier one company, I spent a lot of time on site. I don't actually build anything myself. And that's actually one of the things that um, I get asked a lot when I say I'm a builder and I run a construction company. Uh, people will ask me, oh, you don't look like a builder. Yeah. You know, where's your tool belt and where are your boots, et cetera. So um, I don't work because I'm not a trades person, uh, so to speak. I'm I'm a head contractor. So what I do is I manage the trades. So uh, you can sit on site and you're wearing, you know, vis vest and, and boots because it's a minimum requirement to be on a construction site. But technically, I don't actually um, do any physical work. Um, The head contractor's role is um, supervision. So all my my employees, they work either off-site or on-site. And the closest they get to trade work is supervision. And uh, I mean, I do have trained carpenters that work for me and do a little bit of carpentry work, especially when it comes, um, you know, to putting sites together or or site setup, et cetera. Um, So that's where I sit. Yeah. So this is a very um, oversight, if you like, and, and, and project management, but but quite different again from from architecture. So you you, you made that change. You, you stopped to have your children. You come back. What what did you sort of notice when you when you changed fields? Um, look, what I liked is that. Um I found the work in construction really rewarding. Um, you know, you you wake up in the morning, you go to work, and you might leave that day, and a couple of you know staircases have gone in, or uh, a kitchen's been put together, or some bathrooms have been you know put together. So I felt like um, what, what I like about construction, and because I'm a really pragmatic person, is that you you're really able to observe this really tangible result of what you do. Um, I mean, I always think of people who I don't know, might be in policy making, you know, and they just type, oh, I just typed another clause. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, maybe it's exciting for them. I'm not sure. But to me, I feel like, you know, um, I don't know, an escalator went in. You know, yeah, this yeah, stuff yeah. is kind of, I think the scale of the um, elements that we put together makes it really exciting and really rewarding. So, um, you know, you go home and you'll say, oh, well, yeah, we just poured another slab, you know, yeah, and that, yeah. that I feel like that's um, that you get a really real big sense of achievement yes. from that work. And I hadn't really expected that um, in architecture, you know, I might spend two or three months just documenting, just looking at my computer on AutoCAD, just drafting, drafting, drafting. And yeah. you feel a little bit remote from all the action in some respect. And I just love being in the action. Do you think that goes back to something like, like if you think of yourself as a child, was there something practical or physical about you that you think? resonates more than the, yeah. I guess, philosophical? No, it's funny. I've actually never been asked that before. Um, look, I mean, I'd love to say, you know, I won a logo, yeah. a competi- <laughs> Lego competition and stuff. Um, not, not, not particularly. I mean, I think I was always just um, 
I think I had a little bit of that leadership trait in me, you know, where I wanted to run things and make things happen and and actually make it happen is one of our company values, you know, because we're very uh, sort of reactive and we're able to make things happen fairly quickly. Um, To me, it was more about being able to see uh, what I've achieved, you know, in in a way in – uh, in quite a short short time, yes. you know, so because you ev- everything changes so quickly yeah. that, you know, over one week, over two weeks, you yeah. immediately can see those results. And I found that really quite satisfying. Yes. So you're not waiting for something a long way in the future. It's, it's yeah. coming in stages. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So just to, just touching on, on, on your childhood, I know you moved here from France at quite a young age. Um, do you want to just talk about that that transition? Because often we we sh- shape ourselves, if you like, and, yeah. and change. Yeah, look, I think, I, I mean, I came probably uh, just at the right time to really adopt the Aussie way of life yeah. and, and really call Australia my home. Um, I'm the youngest of three and my older sister, my older brother. I feel like that was always a lot harder for them to come to Australia in the middle of their teenage years, whereas Mine was just before I became a teenager, right. and and I feel like that that has had quite an impact on me. Um, in a way, it was easier. I yeah. think you still had a little bit of that sort of, you know, innocence where yes. it was like, yeah, whatever my parents want me to do, I'll yeah. do. And um, and to me, um, I just embraced it. I embraced all of it. Like yeah. I thought everything was amazing about being in Australia. I loved learning a new new language. Yeah. Um, you know, being catching the bus and yeah. going to the beach and all those things which I didn't have in France at all. So um, I think I had a really, really optimistic outlook from the get-go. And even though I went back to France for a little bit um, after I finished school to study, I just could not wait to get back here. Right. To me, it was the, the home. So the croissants and the coffee and so on. Were, yeah. No, I can get very, them here. <laughs> you can. <laughs> I have a lot of them. Uh, okay. So, um, you know, sort of fast fast forward to your, your entry into construction and, and you made the decision to go out on your own. So mm-hmm. can we sort of unpick that? Yeah, for sure. Um so, look, construction, it's a, it's a, a very, like working for a tier one builder, um, they're very, uh, these very large companies, they exist because they are uh, very rigid in some respect in the way they work. And that's uh, because, you know, they turn over a billion dollars a year and they have a thousand people that work for them. So, um, they have processes and systems in place that are um, difficult to change. Yes. and. You know, I don't blame them for that because that's the way they operate and that's the way they keep the wheels moving all the time. Um, where I was, I, I enjoyed what I was doing, but I had a little bit of frustration around um, the way some of the things were done and I wasn't really empowered to change those things. It just wasn't my role. I mean, I was in delivery. I was I was expected to just deliver jobs and I did that quite well. I wanted to move a little bit away from that and um, create a, a company that would be probably um, that would be able to challenge the stereotype of the builder. And um, and I just thought the the best way to do this is to just, you know, start my own company yeah. and apply that vision to, you know, what, what, what I create. Yeah. So that's a big leap. Mm-hmm. Um, you go from having a presumably a well-paid job to, I guess, a, a revenue line yeah. of probably zero on day one. So Absolutely. Um, maybe talk me through your, I guess, your appetite for risk or- Yeah. yeah. Look, I, it's funny because I always say it's because of what I didn't know. Yeah that I went ahead with it. And I think if I had known actually the challenge that he represented, I probably wouldn't have done it. So um, where I used to work, I had uh, the opportunity to deliver, you know, $25 million projects, like really big fit outs over seven levels, six months, um, you know, four levels, 13 million. um, And I felt very confident in that field. 
And I thought, okay, if I can do a $25 million project, a $30 million project, when I go out on my own, it's going to rain $4 million jobs. You know, everyone's going to go, oh, well, she's done 25, she's done 13, four is walk in the park. Um, Turns out that it really doesn't work that way. And it's always funny when I look at the first business plan I did in 2016, I thought I was going to turn over, you know, 30 million the first year. Right. After six years, I'm yet to hit 30 million turnover, you know. Business plan was was put in the bin fairly quickly. So the very first job I picked up was $50,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was definitely a bit of a wake-up call. Yeah. And what's interesting as well is that $50,000 job, I only ever got paid forty two. Right. And I was it was such a massive wake-up call. I was like, oh, my God, this is actually not going to work at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just thought, you know, I was going to make 10% on a $4 million job yeah. and that would see me through the next couple of years. And, of course, it's yeah. not like that, you know. And clients, before they award job t- jobs to build up, they want to see, um, you know, credentials, similar jobs that you've completed, who your team is, uh, what are your insurances, what are, you know, what's your accreditation in so many different uh, fields. So it ended up being quite a big battle uphill, um, especially the first year. And the first year I ended up, I think, only turning over about 800K, paying myself less than 30,000, which obviously was a really big drop from what I had and very different to my business plan. So there was definitely a little bit of times when I thought, what have I done? What have I done? Uh, Obviously, you know, I had probably, you know, uh, shut the door behind me where I was working from. There was no real chance of going back. So I got a little bit concerned, but um, obviously I was in, you know, I had a husband who was very supportive, uh, family who believed in me. And and in the end, I was also really enjoying it. I could tell that, you know, to me, running my own ship was, was something that I really enjoyed. And um, and so I decided to keep going and then um, had a few really good clients that supported what I was doing. People started saying, oh, you're you know, a female who started a construction company. That wasn't really the reason why I did it, but they seemed to be interested in that and, yes. you know, backing the underdog. And yeah. and by sort of year two, I had picked up some, you know, much more exciting projects. And, you know, I think I picked up a $1.7 million job the second year. So that made everything, you know, everything yeah. change at that point. So you've um, effectively, I guess, to go back to the question of taking the risk, you, you're probably naive to the risk and therefore yeah. it didn't actually feel that you were doing anything No, old. that's right. That's right. And I think it, it, that's also, uh, in a way, I'm so grateful that I didn't because I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. You know, if I hadn't been told you're going to have to work three, four months before you pick up $50,000, yeah. I would have gone, well, I can't afford it and I don't want to. It's not, it's not exciting. So, um, yeah, I guess I was a little bit naive, yeah. but- I don't know. I didn't know what I didn't know, and I just took a leap of faith. There was a lot of a lot of anxiety, you know. The the when I when I resigned, and the first night I found myself at home, I was I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and saying, "What have I done? What have I done?" You know. But I guess you know. With the, yeah, no regrets. Excellent. So you mentioned you know female founder, unusual in in your industry, um, and perhaps that piques people's curiosity. But it must be a um, it's a unique environment, both for you and for your for your staff. So, yeah, maybe talk us through that that journey. Yeah, look, um, it's it's definitely something that it has completely shifted over the last six years. So my my business now is six years old, yeah. and I, I, like I mentioned, it wasn't that easy initially. In the first couple of years, I think being a woman who had started her own construction company was always a disadvantage. It was something I needed to overcome. Every first conversation was, no, no, I am a builder. No, I know I'm <laughs> yeah. not wearing boots, but listen yeah. to me. I'm a head contractor. This is how construction companies work. Trying to say, 
lend-lease don't have anyone on the tools either. You yeah, know, yeah. they're all project managers yeah. and supervisors exactly like me. And credibility was a really big challenge. And that that was always, the, like to me, I always saw it as like, swimming against the surf, you know, having these huge waves coming and, you know, being thrown back onto the beach with, you know, you don't know what you're doing and thank you, but that sounds a bit weird. And, and, you know, I mean, I had a few, I remember a a very memorable pitch to a client where I said, this is what I do. And, you know, you need a new office and I can build it. And, you know, this, this is my experience. And then this person just looking at me blankly going, well, we normally go to a builder for this. And I was like, but that's just what I explained for 15 minutes. Like (laughs) the builder, that's me. You're looking at her, you know. And so all these things were really difficult. And then I think once I started um, hitting some really nice projects, uh, building a bit more of a profile, having a few more employees, being across two states, then being a woman who started a construction company and a successful one became an advantage. So now it's actually my competitive advantage. And I never saw that coming. I didn't think it was, I mean, I just thought if anything, I'll be able to level up with the boys, you know, but it's actually now where we have tender interviews, there's four builders at the table and they will say to me, the feedback is why you really stand out. You're really doing something different. We've never met a company like yours. And I just feel so grateful because to me, it's like oh, I've gone past the waves. Now I'm like, you know, just cruising. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I obviously don't don't take that for granted or, or, or rest on my laurels, but I do feel like there's been a little bit of a shift in the past couple of years yeah. where the credibility is no longer an issue. Yeah. People come to me because they've seen what I've done. Yeah. Um, and I think now I'm in a really strong position to really embrace that women in construction movement yeah. because before that, It was kind of just about me surviving. It was just, can I make it as a woman in construction? Now I feel like, well, who can I invite and encourage to succeed with me? And where, you know, how can I reach out to more women and more girls to come in work in construction, either for me or for others? So um, I feel like, yeah, it's a kind of a different, different uh, stage now. And do you think that's specific to construction, Jake, as part of a, a society? What, what do you think has changed? Well, I think the um, uh, look in construction. Yeah, I, I can answer that question really easily. I, I, I think because I, I believe the diversity movement goes well beyond construction. Yes. It, it's across every male-dominated industry. Obviously, construction is my industry, so I know it well. So, my view on this is um, it's all about future-proofing. Yeah. Is it's a it's a sector that's growing. Yeah. Um, it's the third biggest employer in the country. Okay. Uh, we're going to need another five hundred thousand workers in the next ten years if we want to face the demand and the yes. growth. Um, it's an industry that only has twelve percent of women. Yeah. So if you want to grow, yeah. it's pretty obvious where you need to look. Yes. You know, it's yeah. it's if you want the 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 industry to be a like any business in construction to be to be sustainable. Yeah needs to really start talking to that half of the population that they've been ignoring. So it's very obvious why that change is happening because it's a necessity. Um, The other, and and to me, it's actually crazy how slow we are at it. Because if you look, uh, say in the 70s, you take the workforce as a whole, you probably had um, only 40% of women were working uh, because women, you know, were at home and looking after their kids and you had probably about 80% of the men were working. Now we've got about 65% of women are working and 75% of men are working. So we're almost equitable levels. So there's, if you look at the workforce as a whole, there's almost as many men as women working. So why is it that in construction we still only have 12% and, and uh, 88 you know, that that's, doesn't make sense. So to me, it's really obvious how that needs to uh, adjust itself. So, so you touched on um, 
like let's say a competitive advantage almost now having had some successes and, and you touched on the fact that you you did things slightly differently can you give a sense of what that might be and and whether i guess being female has influenced that or whether it's more just your i guess your innermost personality yeah oh well look it's it's a mix of everything i mean to me i feel like um that you know i mentioned challenging the stereotype yes. of the builder you know and and the builder uh the stereotype of the builder is what i described earlier you know that tradie the plumber you yeah. know and and of course you see me turn up and i'm don't really look like a yeah. plumber um, I, I can assure the <laughs> listeners you don't look like a plumber <laughs> i've seen a few and, plumbers <laughs> and, and and you know that's that image sort of that, yes. that image problem that the industry has that starts with that, right? So I feel like when people um, meet with me, they probably feel like, um, okay, we're not dealing with someone who is, um, you know, hard to approach or uh, not transparent or not clear about, you know, what they what we're getting or uh, that might not be expressing themselves th- that well. So I think, I mean, without bragging, I think there's a kind of a level of sophistication that I think people appreciate and embrace, and but also surprises them yeah. in a, in a good way. Um, to me, I, I feel also like, um, and and I don't, I, I'm not the one who's done the research here, but we know that a more diverse team is a more performant team. And so uh, by having, you know, 44% women in my company, I feel like we're performing quite well. I'm not saying that's the only reason we're performing well, but that's definitely one of the factors. So clients are able to see that point of difference where, um, you know, we're probably more collaborative, more creative. You know, you meet meet a lot of clients that, that can feel like, Everyone has a horror story of dealing with a builder. They're like, oh, I did some renovations at my house and it was a nightmare and the builder was late and he was charging me so much. And I feel like there's a definitely a new kind of image that we wanna that we wanna try and project of the industry, which is to be more transparent and more approachable. And I feel like I'm doing that quite well because that's just being true to my, to my values. You know, I want to, you know, I want to tell my client, I, I don't work for free. I put margin on jobs. Um, this is my fee. Yeah. But I also say, you know, this is the cost of the trades and I'm transparent about what the trades charge me, et cetera. So I believe that's maybe something that the the public isn't so used to and is embracing and, and, and enjoying. Yeah. So you could be quite threatening to some of the the status quo of your life. So do you get pushback? Do you still see discrimination or? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's funny as a, as a managing director of a reasonably successful company, I have more, uh, more fans than, yes. than not, you know, yeah. I have a lot of people that actually, um, you know, advocate for me. Yeah. And when it comes down, uh, even to the trades, you know, I mean, I get, I get way more respect from the trades than I do from my clients, yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's, they're, they're just, no, well, they don't, you know, they don't bite the hens that, that feed you, you know? Um, and I think that's really changed, of course, because those really yeah. sexist attitudes that are really outdated, but, uh, you know, disappointingly still exist, yeah. they are generally, you know, on site uh, at, at sort of, you know, the sort of lower levels of food chain, you know, the, the laborers and the, 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 and yeah, so we're, we're getting a little bit, uh, I, I don't really yeah. get subjected to any, any, any issues. Um, I do, I do have a few discrimination comments that I hear from my competition. You know, there's a few people that, um, get annoyed that, you know, I, yeah, doing quite well. And, um, you know, because I'm a woman and that's probably something they can't change if they're not, you know, so, um, that can be, yeah, well, yeah, well, they can, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, the last, uh, the most recent, uh, discrimination issue I've sort of, um, suffered was when, um, 
I worked very, very hard on a very large tender. It was a $10 million job and I knew very well who the competition competition was and they knew who I was as well. And I ended up uh, not winning that tender. It went to them. It was probably a little bit too big for me at the time, and uh, but I had put a lot of effort in it. So it was a real hard break. Um, I had really seen that as, you know, something that was going to propel me. Yes. And um, and in the end, I did hear, you know, through through the, the, the grapevine that they'd said, oh, this will probably teach me a lesson. And now I'm probably getting the idea that I should go back and make, uh, you know, lunchboxes for my kids. And that's sort of really, you know, a little bit petty comments, especially considering they'd won anyway. They, they didn't yeah, need to make those comments yet. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of... You know, some of the discrimination I'm still subjected to, but it's, you know, even that was a couple of years ago and not not really so much anymore. But I, I know that it's still prevalent on sites and it's very difficult for the um, female trade tradies. You know, I feel like they have some of the worst working conditions. Like some of them, I mean, we're talking, you know, in construction, maybe one, uh, so 12%, so 12 in 100 are females. In the trade world, it's 3%, right? So you imagine a construction site with 100 people, you've only got three females there. They they they're probably subject to quite a bit of uh, you know sexism and the conversation is yeah. probably yeah. a little bit coarser than it is yeah, at the, uh, the yeah. level you're operating. And, and I'd love to you know have an impact in changing that as well. And and the only way to do it is to get more women yeah. you know on board as well as educating the boys. You know it's it's got to come from both from sides. Both sides. Mm. So that's the the important thing I guess now for you as you said you sort of transcended. What can I do for me? I've got to this point. What can I do for? Mm. more people and for the female participation. So it's interesting because we, we have a very similar challenge in investment management where we have, you know, generally, I don't exactly know the numbers, but it's probably around 20 to 25% at most of investment professionals are are female in the fund management industry. So I guess we're trying to deal with similar challenges. Can you just talk through, you know, I guess what you're doing and how you sort of see some yeah. of the solutions? No, definitely. I love that question. And and um, that's that's part of the reason why I'm so excited to be on this podcast, because I get an opportunity to reach out to, to your audience as well. Um, I mean, to, to me, the key is really education. We need to educate the population. Um, and that's the only way that attitudes are going to change. Um, so the three, the three most important groups we need to educate are um, the girls themselves, younger girls, so going to high school, schools. Um, so we launched that program called the Next Next Gen Program, which is um, focusing on the next generation of construction, um, which is which involves speaking at girls' schools in year 11 or 12 or 10 even, uh, and telling them about construction, saying, you know, who's considered a career in construction? Why haven't you considered a career in construction? This is the benefits of working in construction. I mean, I have, you know, a 25-minute presentation, 25 slides. I happily send it out to people who want it because- I'm not the only one who can give that presentation. You could do it. Anyone who's interested in increasing the number of women in construction can give that presentation. The men like the women. And uh, and to me, uh, that is where it starts because one of the issues is that uh, not enough girls study uh, construction-related fields. So um, when I hire and I say to my recruiters, I actually have you know uh, recruitment fees that are different from male or female. So right. I give them more of a, a higher okay. percentage if they help me find a woman because yeah. it's an incentive for them to just look a little bit harder uh, for that 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 woman. And um, the reality is, when I get all the resumes on my desk, um, I can see that they all come from uh, construction-related fields. Right. So actually, quite yeah. a few architects, okay. uh, as opposed to um, construction management studies or 
project management, which is just a little bit more adapted to what I do. So it's always a little bit harder for me to um, make that selection because I might have three or four or five resumes from guys that actually tick those boxes. And then uh, the female resumes are all a little bit kind of more of a horizontal kind of uh, entry into the industry, which is which is a little bit harder. Yes. So to me, if we can educate the girls, get them to study courses that are related to construction or, or construction management, that will start that change, yes. making that change. Um, then to me, the second group we need to educate is um, obviously the, the community, uh, such as the teachers and the career advisors. Um, if What do you do when a young girl comes up to you and says, hey, I'm interested in construction, where can I go? You know, it's knowing, telling them, okay, well, there's mentorship programs, there's internship programs, there's scholarships, yes. and actually um, making sure we can guide them into a field that's exciting. And we want to we want to show them that um, construction is a viable career. Yes. It's not something that you do before you study or, you know, or in between or, and, and to me, it's really important that they, we educate them. Uh, we educate the girls and we educate the career advisors to educate the girls. Um, and then finally, the hardest one is obviously changing the industry itself, you yeah. know, um, letting the guys know that um, we're not trying to steal their jobs. You know, this is not a, a man-hating club. The, yes. the women in construction movement can sometimes also suffer a little bit from that image, uh, but it's we're trying to grow a bigger pie. And if we have more women sitting at the table, yes. everybody wins, yeah. not just us. Um, you know, a team that has uh, that is more diverse will be more collaborative, more creative, more profitable. Yeah. And if a company is more profitable, you know, everybody wins, you know, salaries are higher, uh, conditions of working are better, et cetera. So to me, that's a really important um, pathway into changing that industry. So how do you deal with the, the, the challenge today, I guess, where we're still trying to fill the, you know, the year 10s, the year 11s, the year 12s? How do you get the 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, perhaps like yourself, you made a career change from architecture um, and it's a controversial topic, but it's, it's the sort of quota against the it's a positive discrimination or it's how, yeah. does, how does it actually work? Oh, look, I mean, I, I or for think, you at least. How does yeah, it work? yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you're right because um, it's probably the next generation yeah. of construction will be a lot more balanced, but we kind of need to make that change right now, right? We can't necessarily wait 10, 15 years until the girls come through the ranks. So to me, I mean, I think the introduction of quotas, it's, it's always um, a little bit of a controversial one. Yes. I mean, I'm personally in favor of it, uh, but with a little bit of a disclaimer. So um, I do believe that if you introduce a quota, say the New South Wales government introduced a quota and, and Victorian government's done it. So, and they've done it quite successfully. Again, um, you know, limited to a certain type of project, yes. uh, project size, uh, government projects, et cetera. So it's not the whole industry is not embraced it, but at least they're, they're setting an example. If the New South Wales government did the same thing and said, okay, for every um, construction project that we have over 20 million, we need, um, um, uh, 35% women. Um, well, if it's if it's legislation, yes. it's going to happen. Yeah. So it's going to work. So it's almost a guaranteed result. Yeah. So and that's why I'm in favour because at the end of the day, well, we're immediately hitting the, the goals, yeah. right? What I find a little bit tricky around quotas is obviously um, the fact that a lot of women might feel like they're in that role because they are filling a quota as opposed to having deserved the role. And that is actually been proven that a lot of, uh, you know, women that are on board, especially on on, um, on company boards, directors boards um, that have a quota, they 
not only they get questioned by their count, male counterparts, yeah. but they even question themselves. Right. They never really know for sure, like, did I deserve that seat at the table or am I just, you know, filling a, a, a quota? So there's something around that that affects the women's con- confidence yeah. that end up in those roles. But I believe that can be overcome. Yeah. You know, let's just, you know, tell them it's not the reason and they're there for because they deserve it. And we are, therefore, we're just hitting those targets a lot quicker. So I do believe that's, I mean, to me, I feel like it's a good, it's a good option, uh, but that's not shared by everyone. Yeah. So this, um, I guess the effort required to be an advocate is very different from the effort required to be a builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does this, you know, how, how do you find the energy? for this or is it is it exhausting i guess either? yeah man i'm exhausted absolutely um no it's true and and it's um uh, to me i mean i still want to really keep that very operational role in my business um I don't want to just go around the world doing, you know, podcasts or talks. And it is really something that I do in addition to running my business. Um, It could be something that um, I do more of and I manage to step a little bit back, a little bit more back from the business uh, at some point. Right now, I'm quite enjoying doing both. Um, I believe... I have that credibility when I give those talks because I embody what I preach. You know, I'm like, I am a woman in construction. I'm not just a keynote speaker. Um, And so to me, it's really important to wear both hats. Um, Obviously, I'd love what I'm trying to do with the next gen program is um, find some women who are interested in giving that same talk and doing the same thing. So it's not so much me just, you know, going out to every school or every, yeah, but actually get like, and even the girls in my team have to do it as well. You know, each of them have to go to their old school then um, because now we've tied one of the metrics of the business with that program so for every million dollars uh, worth of turnover we got out to one school so you know we just want a nine million dollar job so that's nine schools we need to go to and we're actually making making a point of going to the schools around that job and hopefully bringing the girls to our site you know and really because to me um, you can make an impact you don't need to go far. Yeah. You know, I don't think I need to fly to New York and do something extravagant. I can just, you know, even coming out of here today, I could, you know, knock on the door of the first school I see and say, hey, do you want me to speak about construction? Yeah. And I feel like it's, I'm also trying to show that it's within everyone's reach yeah. to make that change. You know, it's the, you don't need to be me. You don't need to be rich. Yeah. You, don't, you just need to have, you know, 25 minutes of your day, a little bit of conviction, and you can maybe – if out of one cohort of year 10 of 100 girls, three of them decide that they're going to work in construction, that's that's a huge result. And much more than we're at today. Yeah, and it's already much more. Exactly. It's just three more. Yeah. So are you starting to feel, you know, with speaking to these girls that you're getting a positive response? Like- yeah. Uh, look, I mean, it's always a little bit of a, a mixed result uh, initially because they're all kind of, oh, we didn't expect that and we have so many doctors and lawyers and bankers that come and talk to us and this was really quite different. But I've had, I always give a, make a point of giving my details at the end and I've had a lot of girls reach out to me who right. want internships, who want to chat, who want to meet, um, you know, one of my PMs who'd like to come and see a site. So I think it takes a little while to sort of, um, you know, uh, settle into their, their minds. Uh, but I am getting some pretty good uh, results. I mean, um, I have three daughters myself. Uh, one of them's running my next gen TikTok account. So okay, she's reaching cool. <laughs> out to girls her age because yeah. I figured I've got, you know, if I want to reach out to yeah, the girls, yeah. obviously they're not on Facebook anymore. Um, everyone's on TikTok. So I, I'm aware just, of that with yeah, my own daughters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and 
to me, that's the audience, right? So I don't know anything about TikTok, but they do. Their mom works in construction. So we're sort of trying to, you know, get the word out there uh, through whatever channel we can get. So does that mean you and your daughter are dancing in some funny kind of way? or? Uh, well, I'm not, but she is with her sisters and <laughs> she does that very well, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And and for your, for your business, obviously, um, as you say, when you started, it was... Uh, you didn't realize you were taking a risk. Yeah. It, it it started slowly, but it's, I mean, I acknowledge that, you know, AFR is recognized as one of the fastest growing businesses. So, you know, I guess where, where does Urban Core, Core go from here? Yeah. Um, so at the moment, I mean, I like, it's a very good question because the idea of growing, I mean, you always want to grow in one way or another, whether it's um, your staff or your turnover or just your values and what you believe in. You know, there's, there needs to be some evolution and some growth. Um, I quite like the boutique size builder. Um, I like the fact that I have direct involvement in the projects, that every client's met me, that every client has my phone number. I feel like that could get to a point where, you know, if I have too many clients, too many projects, that might actually be hard to manage or, or not be true anymore. So I'm trying to sort of keep that growth quite organic and quite contained. Um, but at the same time, I do love the idea that, you know, I have this opportunity to have a bigger impact and be sort of the living proof that, you know, a female-run construction company can be successful and grow. Um, so currently, I mean, we have a three-year plan and it's definitely uh, going we're definitely going to grow. It's definitely a growth plan, but it's not a really aggressive growth plan, you know. Like I'm, I'm not going to make the AFR list again, okay. you know, because I just don't want that exponential growth. I, I just don't think I'd be able to in, uh, handle it and I don't think I'd be able to uh, be true to uh, my values. It would just get too diluted. And I guess you have this bizarre, I suspect, ambition that you are at the moment unique mm. or you know, the first founder of a female construction company, but, but your vision in a way is that you lose that competitive edge because everybody else is a female founder. So yeah. I guess it's kind of bit bittersweet in some kind of way, but how, how does that? Yeah, look, to be honest, I, I am totally okay with that. There are some women before me that have had uh, similar uh, careers, yeah. but they didn't get the, the the success. They didn't get the recognition they deserved, right. you know, and that's, that's, I think I've been sort of lucky that my timing's been right where diversity is, you know, quite a, Big yes. popular topic and a topic that people will take more seriously than ever. So I've sort of feel like I've come in at the right time doing what I do. Um, and I'm hoping that I will inspire others and that there will be more, more uh, women doing what I do. You know, that's, that's the end goal, not to stay sort of unique and, yes. and, and yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, hopefully the, uh, some of the people listening to this show today have been inspired or perhaps uh, they know some young girls who they can pass this uh, episode on to and inspire them and uh, your dreams will be fulfilled. Thank I you for joining so. us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Investing for Life podcast. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and share with your friends. For show notes from today's conversation, head to platinum.com.au.